You're listening to the Keeping It Real with Janine podcast, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. I'm Janine Strong, and today I'm chatting with Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Dr. Seneff is a senior research scientist at the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. She has degrees in biophysics, electrical engineering, and computer science from MIT. In recent years, Dr. Seneff has focused her research interests mainly on the relationship between nutrition and health and the impact of nutritional deficiencies and environmental toxins on human health. My previous conversation with Dr. Seneff on nutrition, health, and toxins continues to be extremely popular. Since listeners want to hear from her, I asked Stephanie if she would like to come back on the podcast, and she said yes. Hi, Dr. Stephanie Seneff. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Now, you have been working on a hypothesis connecting the herbicide glyphosate with health issues related to vaccines. In our emails back and forth, you laid out some of your ideas, and I asked you if you would call this a hypothesis or farther along than that or research pointing in this direction or studies being done as we speak. And you responded, if I may read, definitely a hypothesis, especially the part about glyphosate substituting for glycine. I cannot tell you how excited I am about this idea because it easily explains all the correlations we are seeing with the alarming rise in a long list of debilitating neurological, autoimmune, and oncological diseases. I can easily find specific proteins that are linked to specific diseases that are going up in prevalence where specific mutations at specific (laughs) glycine residues are causal in the disease. It takes your breath away if you dive deep into it like I have. And you asked me if I would dare tackle this, and I said, Mm -hmm. let's go for it. So let's go for it, Stephanie. Where would you like to start? Yes, here we are. <laughs> and it's it's hard to know where to start because it's just, I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am because the more I look, the more I'm convinced. Uh, the frustration I have is that nobody believes it. And even the chemists are skeptical. So I need to warn you about that up front. Uh-huh. Chemists seem to think that it's not possible. And I believe that it's impossible for it not to be true because there's so much evidence. So it's an interesting situation where we have, yeah, uh, where is the truth? Where does the truth lie? <laughs> Very interesting, um, exciting and uh, provocative. So, um, yeah, so I don't know where to begin. I think I'll begin with the actual uh enzyme that glyphosate disrupts in the pathway, it famously disrupts this enzyme in the pathway called the shikimate pathway in the plants. And some people have probably mm-hmm. know that in your audience. Um, right. Everybody agrees with that. There's no, no contest there. Uh, I have read several papers, some of them by Monsanto researchers, um, on that enzyme in that pathway and how does glyphosate. They're trying to figure it out. And I, I, I personally think they must have figured it out the way I figured it out, except that they don't want the world to know that. And therefore, they're working very hard to make sure we think it can't happen. I think that's the game. Mm. Um, It's so just that one enzyme is very uh, clear because there's a glycine residue in that enzyme. First of all, I don't know if people understand glyphosate substituting for glycine during protein synthesis. I probably should say a bit about that. Yes, yes, please. A lot of people don't know the biology. 
Let's pretend like we're all dummies, <laughs> okay. or not dummies, but we're all beginners. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not hard, I think. The idea is not hard to grasp if you know a little bit of biology. Um, the DNA code, of course, is very famous. That's the, the coding mm-hmm. life, and that codes for the protein sequences. The proteins are made up of the amino acids, and there are about 20 amino acids, and they're built like beads on a string. It's really fascinating how biology works. The proteins are really the workhorses of the body. They do all the stuff, and mm-hmm. they're constructed according to this code which is a four-letter code, and, and three letters in a row code for a specific pro- amino acid. So you have, you know, your AGCT is the DNA, uh, you know, symbols, and those are okay. one giant sequence of A's and G's and C's and T's, and as you read it off in three-letter units, you get codes for specific amino acids. So it's going along looking for, it sees a code, there's a whole machinery that makes this happen, that grabs an amino acid and sticks it in, and builds the beads like paper dolls holding hands, or like beads on a string, amino acids get assembled along that along that assembly line uh, to produce that specific protein. That's how proteins are made. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. It is just amazing that the body can do all of this, you know. Oh, I agree. Right, and it's worked out the details of how these proteins should go together so that they do what they do because the proteins do amazing things, you know. Certain ones can make reactions happen that would otherwise be essentially impossible mm-hmm. by pulling substrates together in the way they organize. They can, they can usher things in. They have hydro. They do all this fancy stuff to make things happen. Reactions take place that, that build, uh, you know, nutrients and whatnot. So it's just amazing. But this particular protein that is the one that glyphosate famously disrupts is called EPSP synthase. It has a glycine residue absolutely conserved in the plants. It's always glycine at that spot mm-hmm. where the substrate binds. The substrate is called PEP, phosphoenolpyruvate. Okay, and it slow binds down a bit. It binds to a phosphate at that spot. <laughs> the protein shapes itself perfectly and arranges some electrostatic you know, attractors to, to draw phosphate in okay. at that spot. Um, from the PEP. So it makes the PEP come right in there, and the PEP has to react with another thing to make the reaction product. So all that has to happen. Glyphosate gets in the way, and they know it does. That's what they say. Glyphosate gets in the way of that phosphate. Mm-hmm. It goes in in place of that PEP. But the difference between their opinion and my opinion is that they think it substitutes for the PEP, whereas I think it substitutes for the glycine that's actually embedded in the protein itself, in, that, in those paper dolls holding hands. Mm-hmm. One of those paper dolls is glycine, in the protein mm-hmm. that is the enzyme that's making this PEP come in. So it's a difference of opinion about where the glyphosate is actually situated in the, in the scene to do its damage. Mm-hmm. You see yes, I do. I do. Interesting. But the interesting thing is that the way that you can get around that problem is by mutating the protein so that that glycine is no longer glycine. You change it to alanine. You change the actual DNA code in the, in the, um, some of the bacteria have done this. They've modified that enzyme, and they've gotten rid of that glycine. Ooh. And if you do that, you also get rid of glyphosate's ability to interfere. In other words, if you change that glycine to alanine, which is a very similar amino acid but a different code, and it's the code that matches. Okay. So once the code is different, glyphosate can no longer substitute for alanine. It won't substitute at all. And that's what they see. There's absolutely It's completely insensitive to glyphosate if you, if you change the code. So the glycine is no longer but there. But we need, the, we need still, the glycine, don't we? Well, you can fool around with these proteins, and, and, and that's what things – it's amazing. They, they tweak them, you know, and so these the bugs have figured out how to change that glycine to alanine, and then they tweak something else over in another spot to give a little more room for the PEP so the PEP still fits. If you just change the glycine to alanine, you also hurt the PEP. doesn't bind as well. 
but you don't hurt it nearly as badly as you would hurt it if you put glyphosate there. And you also hurt glyphosate much, much more than you hurt PEP. In other words, they're thinking glyphosate just substitutes for PEP, so they should be equally vulnerable to the extra stuff that's in place because of the alanine. But in fact, PEP is only somewhat sensitive, and glyphosate is completely dead in the water. So there's a very different response mm-hmm. to that extra alanine, extra methyl, actually, it's in the alanine uh, amino acid. It disrupts the PEP only a little bit, but it completely clobbers glyphosate because it's changed the code. And it's the code that glyphosate is, is honoring. It's because of the code that glyphosate is substituted. Mm-hmm. Once you get rid of glycine, glyphosate can't touch that protein anymore. And that's the basis oh. for the for the GMO. Okay, now I'm, I think rid- I'm getting it now. I'm obviously going to have to listen to this again myself. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's hard for people who don't know any biology, but I, I'm trying to get it to as simple as I can. But it's pretty cool. Once you understand what it is, then you go, oh, my God, because now you just have to ask other proteins. Mm-hmm. You know? And it turns out other proteins that have similar properties to that protein, uh, which are specific, that you have that glycine there. And in fact, other proteins that bind phosphate, you can expect, because that's the thing that's getting disrupted here, binding phosphate. And glyphosate has a phosphonylmethyl group attached to it. Phosphonyl sounds a lot like phosphate, Mm -hmm. and it is. It's almost phosphate. It's very similar. It's also negatively charged. So in other words, it fits well where phosphate should go. So the glyphosate is being sort of ushered into that protein at that spot as you're assembling the protein because the surrounding amino acids in the protein are actually supporting glyphosate to fit there very, very well. They have to because they're supporting phosphate. It's really, really fascinating science. So what happens is the proteins that have an ability to bind phosphate and that have a glycine at the site where phosphate binds, they typically have some positively charged amino acids nearby that are going to attract the phosphate because phosphate's negatively charged, just like a magnet. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, it'll pull that phosphate right in. So it'll pull the glyphosate right in the same way. It'll be very eager. And the glyphosate will match the code perfectly because it's a glycine molecule. It's a complete glycine molecule with an extra methylphosphonyl group attached to its nitrogen atom. So it perfectly matches the code. Got it. And then it has the phosphate that matches the substrate. And the whole thing goes together to just beautifully snap right into place as that protein's being assembled. And this creates a monster version of protein that doesn't work. Hmm. Okay, I'm getting it now. Yeah. So now you have all the proteins that bind phosphate and you can start collecting them up. And that's how you go, oh my God, you know. And then you go, oh my God, again, because you find this one and that one and you say, oh, of course, that's why this gut's not working. You know, you you tie them all together to everything that's happening. So it's, it's just quite amazing. It's a, it's a giant puzzle and it's a it's a wonderful puzzle i love it i i, I sort of i mean i'm obviously obsessed but <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness somebody is <laughs> yeah so that's sort of the starting point to t- and then so once i acknowledged that it could be possible and it was anthony samsel by the way who suggested to me and originally i had thought it wasn't possible because you know we all think it's not possible uh, anthony samsel has collaborated with, with me on a number of papers he's a really interesting person mm-hmm. very um brilliant in, in chemistry. He, he's a, a chemist. I, mean, I don't do chemistry in the sense of a chemistry lab. Um, I've had good, uh, a good background in chemistry in my courses and in my team many years ago. Um, and I love chemistry, but I don't actually do it, if you know what I mean. I mm-hmm. don't have a chemistry lab. Uh, Anthony has worked in chemistry all his life. And uh, he was mm-hmm. uh, in a think tank at Arthur B. Little for most of his career. I think he still works for them as a consultant. But he has his own you know, little business, his little lab in his home right now. And he's doing experiments with glyphosate and finding interesting things. But he suggested to me maybe three or four years ago that he thought this was happening. 
And initially I said, no, forget it. It can't happen. And he said, no, 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 try it out. You know, and so then I, I did. I said, OK, well, let's just assume it's happening and let's take a look and see what it would mean. You know, what would be the implications? Mm-hmm. And that's and the more I looked them. I was I had this incredible December, January of that year. I was in Kauai and I was just immersed in these proteins, learning all about the glycine residues and various proteins and what they do and the various diseases that you get if they're mutated. You can find people who have a genetic mutation where one of those glycines is not, it gets changed to something else. And you can have extremely severe disease if that happens. And that disease can be an extreme version of something that um, is going up dramatically in step with glyphosate usage on core crops, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what are some of the implications that you think are happening with this? Right. I mean, it's sort of hard to know where to begin. We have the whole story of the gut microbes getting disrupted, which is very clear. Right. Um, Glyphosate is poisoning everybody. Uh, It's all over our food supply, especially in the United States and Canada. And um, Mm -hmm. one of the things you notice first is that it disrupts the gut microbes. And that's happening because it's disrupting their proteins so that they aren't able to do the things they're supposed to do and they get sick. And it especially affects bifidobacteria and lactobacillus. And those are the key microbes that need to really get going when the baby's born. Uh, those are the ones that are going to um, keep the gut healthy. Mm-hmm. So they get clogged by glyphosate, and then you have these pathogenic species, um, like you know, Staph aureus can t- get involved, or Clostridium. Mm-hmm. Uh, various pathogenic species can uh, overgrow, and then you get inflammatory gut, and you get leaky gut. You know, you get a lot of issues with the gut uh, because of the bacteria, bacterial imbalance that glyphosate introduces. Um, so that's an issue. Uh, one thing interesting that I found was was myosin. That was one of the proteins I was looking at. Myosin is a contractile protein. It's a major protein in muscles, like in mm-hmm. your skeletal muscles. Uh, and it's also a, the protein that causes your gut to contract, to push the feces through the gut. And myosin has, depending on how you count, uh, 11 to 14 uh, abs- you know, highly or absolutely conserved glycine residues, meaning that when you look at all these different myosin molecules that are made by all these different species – they're all different, but you see at certain spots where everybody has glycine. Mm-hmm. That's a way you find out, oh, glycine is important at that spot for that molecule. That's another kind of sleuthing you can do. I've been Got looking it. at mutations that cause disease in glycine residues, and I've been looking at sequence ana- analysis, you know, parallel sequence plots of all these different versions of a particular protein that can show you where that protein absolutely has to have a particular amino acid. And if that amino acid is glycine, then I know that's one that glyphosate could potentially disrupt. And mm-hmm. so myosin has a lot of opportunity for glyphosate disruption. And there are, in fact, papers that talk about at least two of those glycines, that if you change them to alanine, which is a minimal change, alanine is the amino acid that's closest to glycine. And those okay. two, uh, if you mutate them, in fact, one of them you mutate to anything, it, it basically busts the protein. It can contract only 1% capacity. So it gets ruined if that glycine is not glycine in at least two spots. And so um, there's a, there was a woman who tried to commit suicide by drinking some glyphosate-based formulation, and she nearly succeeded. But one of the things they noticed in the, in the paper that they wrote about her was that her gut was paralyzed when she oh, drank wow. the glyphosate. And I think it's because the myosin got disrupted by the glyphosate. Hmm. So it sounds like that would affect all the muscles in your body too. Yes, right. right. Anywhere it goes, that's going to be you know intense in the gut. It's going to make its way to the liver and the pancreas. Those two are going to get hit pretty hard. 
Um, it goes into the kidneys because they're trying to get rid of it there, so they're going to get hit mm. hard. So the liver, pancreas, kidneys, those are all getting hit hard. I think it goes into the lymph system and hits all of the um, the glands, the mammary glands, the pituitary gland, um, the thyroid gland, and, and the pancreas is a gland too. So it hits those mm. pretty hard, and it goes into the bone marrow, one of the highest concentrations. Anthony says there was a paper by Monsanto where the highest concentration of glyphosate was in the bone, in the bone, and that's pretty scary because that's the Ooh. immune cells. That are going to, those are the stem cells that are going to become the immune system. They, they come out of the bone marrow and they mature into immune cells um, to keep you, you know, to, for your, a strong immune system. Mm-hmm. So they're going to carry it on their backs, I think. Wow. This is pretty scary. It is. Now, what about the blood-brain barrier? Right. So glyphosate, glyphosate has been shown, to, the papers have been written. Uh, Zach Bush is one of the authors on those papers that showed experimentally that glyphosate uh, opens up the, the gut barrier. And when you open up the gut barrier, uh, you, you release into the bloodstream uh, proteins that will open up the brain barrier as well. So you basically open up the placenta barrier, placental barrier, the brain barrier, and the gut barrier all together. Once you're opening the gut barrier, every, all the other barriers get loose also so that uh, the brain becomes susceptible to invasion by even microbes, you know, and, and proteins, undigested proteins are getting in, into the brain and causing an immune re- response in the brain that's causing a chronic uh, in, inflam- inflammatory response in the brain. That's a characteristic feature of autism, a sort of low-grade inflammation in the brain that I think is, is due to glyphosate, uh, in part because it opens up the brain barrier and also, as we will get to soon, because it messes up the immune cells. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, how does... How, wow. Yeah, I'm like, I, my brain is just going all over right now. So, so what happens with our immune functions? Exactly. <laughs> and this is something I'm very excited about. And so, it starts with actually collagen. Collagen is, a, is, the, is the most common protein in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like a quarter to a third of the proteins in the body are collagen molecules. It's what's in the joints, the bones, the skin, the brain. It's it's the glue. Collagen. Mm-hmm. Okay, can I ask you a question? Because I take collagen powder. Like, is it does it does it actually do something when you take ingest orally collagen powder? Well, it will provide you with the appropriate amino acids that you need to make collagen. Um, okay. Whether you would. Uh, break it down and reassemble, I'm not sure. But I know a lot of people take gelatin or collagen. You have to be worried about it being contaminated with glyphosate because mm. collagen uh, has long sequences of a pattern called GXY, 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 GXY indefinitely. That goes for a really long time in the po- collagen amino acid sequence. Every third amino acid is a glycine in that pattern. Mm. And that's a characteristic mm. feature of, of collagen. This means that one-third I mean, not one-third of the, of the amino acids in collagen because there are other parts of it that aren't quite in – that pattern doesn't show up everywhere in the collagen molecule. But it can be from 20% to 30% of the, of the amino acids in collagen are glycine residues, which means that collagen has a tremendous opportunity for glyphosate substitution. Mm-hmm. And I hear you. mess it up. The collagen has a unique uh, characteristic triple helix structure that's very important for its function. It has, you know, elasticity. It has an ability to hold water. Uh, its tensile strength, all of that depends upon this uh, triple helix structure, and the glycines are essential for that structure to form. And so people have, uh, again, there's papers about mutations in those glycines in that GXY, GXY space 
that can cause severe disorders in collagen and cause a lot of joint pain and, and you know, a lot of um, problems with your joints mm-hmm. and because of mutated collagen with those glycines getting substituted by something else. Interesting. So it sounds like if you are going to uh, take uh, an exogenous uh, a supplement of collagen, you want to be sure that it's from an organic source or at least uh, a source that's not sprayed with Roundup and, yes. uh, and glyphosate. Right. So now the interesting thing is the collagen. It turns out there are some immune, some very important proteins in the immune system that have a segment in them that is a collagen-like sequence. So they have a piece in them that looks like collagen. It's really, really Mm. interesting. And that also forms a triple helix. So these proteins, and so far I've found three of them. I think there are more, but these are the three that I found. And I'm so fascinated with them. They have odd names. One is called C1Q, and that's Mm -hmm. the first member of the complement system. One is called mannose binding peptin, uh, mannose binding lectin, and that is something that binds to mannose. Mannose is a sugar Mm -hmm. that's produced Mm -hmm. by bacteria. And so mannose binding lectin actually binds to bacterial coats. It hooks bacteria and catches them so that the immune cells can eat them and clear them. So Mm. it's obviously part of the innate immune system. And the C1Q is part of the innate immune system as well. It it binds to um, other parts, like like the um, other proteins that the that the bacteria produce. And it also binds to um, materials that our human cells produce when they are sick. So it it helps to clear uh, cells that are dying, Mm -hmm. human cells Mm -hmm. that are dying, and Mm -hmm. to clear uh, bacteria uh, that are invading. So it's basically, again, part of the immune system. And the third one is very interesting. It's called um, macrophage um, uh, scavenger receptor, macrophage scavenger receptor. And it, gra- it grabs all kinds of things that are negatively charged, including, again, bacteria, viruses, um, like LDL, uh, so you know, mm-hmm. damaged cholesterol. Mm-hmm. It'll clear LDL particles. Mm-hmm. It, it'll basically, and it also, I mean, it just binds to things that are negatively charged in a generic way and, again, clears them. So in other words, all three of these guys are important members of the, of the arsenal that the innate immune system uses to make sure that both debris, you know, busted mm-hmm. molecules, and uh, broken cells, and viruses and and bacteria are cleared efficiently cleared. Mm-hmm. It's what makes the innate immune system work, and, and this is super super important because autoimmune disease, which is an epidemic, all kinds of autoimmune diseases are an yes. epidemic right now. They're caused by an overactive adaptive immune system. So there's the innate immune system, which doesn't have to adapt. It can just clobber all, you know, it'll clear anything that comes along if it's working well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the adaptive immune system is what says, okay, you're measles. I know you're measles. I'm going to get you. That's what mm-hmm. you get when you get a measles vaccine. You get the uh, adaptive immune system to come up with some antibodies that perfectly match measles. Got it. Which makes it very efficient to clear measles next time you see it. But you don't need the adaptive immune system to clear measles. You can do it perfectly fine with the innate system if it's working well. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But it's not because the glyphosate's poisoning the cells and preventing those collagen like stalks from being assembled correctly so that those proteins are no longer doing their job. This is what I think is happening. Mm hmm. Hmm. So, 
how does this relate then to vaccines? Right. So the point of vaccines is to get your body to produce antibodies uh, right. to the specific mm-hmm. antigens in the vaccine for specific diseases. And um, to do that, you've got to make the adaptive machi- uh, machinery come alive. Okay. And in fact, if you, the, if you didn't put, for example, the vaccines that have aluminum in them, there are several vaccines that have an aluminum adjuvant that's mm-hmm. added to the mix. And that aluminum is essential because if you just gave it that antigen that was in, they don't, it doesn't have live virus. If it has aluminum, it doesn't have live virus. Okay. And if you inject that vaccine without the aluminum, uh, your immune system is going to say, ha, 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 I don't, you know, you're not a problem. I'm going to clear you without ever building an antibody because you're too easy. Mm-hmm. So in order to make the immune system sufficiently mad that it wants to create antibodies, you have to add that aluminum, which binds to those proteins, which are the antigens, and makes them messed up such that um, the, the adaptive immune system will, will think, I better respond to this, you know, even though it's not really a live virus, it's got this aluminum in there that's really making it toxic, and I better respond to this. So that will force the adaptive immune system to produce those antibodies. Okay, so I have a question. Why not just use a live virus and leave the aluminum out? Well, they do that, and they do that in other vaccines. So I don't know exactly why certain vaccines have this and certain have that, but about probably about half the vaccines are based on a live virus, and the and the other half have the aluminum. And there's a few that okay. have neither of those, but I think there's a large group that either have aluminum with just the protein of the virus, like in the coat, the viral coat protein mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doesn't have a live virus. But the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, the MMR, has three different live viruses in it for all three of those diseases are all in there together in one in one vaccine with no aluminum. And so, um, so their intent is to, because it's a live virus, then you're hoping that it will go ahead and cause um, the immune system to go on fire, even though there's no aluminum in there. You can't put the aluminum in there because it will kill the virus. Ah, okay. Hmm. So, I mean, as as I'm sure you're aware, there's a lot of uh, press right now about uh, measles breaking yes. out in different parts of the country, and and everybody's up in arms, and everybody has to be vaccinated. And maybe you can explain to me why people are so upset. I mean, I yes. had me, I think I had measles, mumps, and chickenpox when I was a kid, and I'm just fine. I know. Uh, we're stronger than they are because we have permanent immunity because of having caught the disease. Whereas the people who are getting the vaccine, it's wearing off. I mean, it doesn't even work all the time, for one thing. Mumps, in fact, is, is particularly unreliable. People mm-hmm. are getting mumps in a fully vaccinated population because it, the vaccine actually doesn't work. And that's part of the problem is that there's no aluminum, right? The immune system is not sufficiently mad. I mean, the problem is your, if your innate immune system is strong, your body's going to say, look, I don't need to, you know, mm-hmm. this is so trivial. I'm not going to go around making antibodies to this stuff. I'm just going to clear it. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you've got a strong immune system, you don't produce the antibodies. So it didn't take. On the other hand, if you've been clobbered by glyphosate, which many of us have, uh, your immune system is weak. Your innate immune system is not working because of all those stalks being broken by the glyphosate. And so you're very uh, sensitive. You, you are in overdrive with your with your adaptive immune system it's working too hard because it has to compensate for the broken innate immune system and this is what i think is going on with the autistic kids they have been poisoned by glyphosate so their innate immune system is weak 
and now they get this vaccine, and so their adaptive immune system goes crazy with it. Plus, they've got the leaky gut, the leaky brain. The measles virus ends up infecting the brain. And mm. then the brain's immune system, which is sort of separate from the body's immune system, it reacts to the measles virus uh, by producing antibodies that end up attacking the myelin sheath through a process called molecular mimicry. Because there's a similar peptide sequence in the myelin sheath that is very similar to one that's in the protein produced by the measles virus. This is mm, well known. Okay. okay. And so that's very interesting. And then on top of that, what's really horrendous is the possibility of glyphosate contamination actually in the vaccine. Mm. And this is what has been uh, tested actually by Zen Honeycutt and Anthony Samsel. Do you know about these, this story? No, I don't. I, I would love to. So there must yeah. be pro so there must be protein in the vaccine in order for there to be a yes. glyphosate contamination. Okay. There is. Yeah. And um, so basically what I think is happening, uh, the live virus vaccines in particular. So Zen Honeycutt and uh, she's a, uh, an activist. She has, she's the founder of the um, organization called moms across America. She's really awesome. I love ah, her. She's really okay. uh, very uh, focused on glyphosate and trying mm -hmm. to get it basically like me banned worldwide is what I think we need to get it off this planet. Mm -hmm. And so, um, she actually took the initiative to have several different vaccines tested for glyphosate. And the, it was only found in some of them. And okay. it, the consistent pattern was that it was found in the ones that were live virus vaccines. And particularly MMR had by far the highest amount compared to any other vaccine that she tested. Anthony did the same thing. He tested a bunch of vaccines, a lot of overlap. He also tested, he tested MMR multiple, with multiple uh, samples of it. Also consistently got highest levels in MMR compared to all the other vaccines, and also the consistent pattern of live virus vaccine. So why would that be? Well, because the live virus is grown on materials that are contaminated with glyphosate. What they do is, they, they first of all, they get uh, a, a growth of, um, of uh, cells that were come from a, a chick embryo. So it's, it's cells mm. from an egg. They okay. grow them in culture. They feed them um, fevine, uh, <laughs> bovine fetal fetal bovine serum, which is basically <laughs> the blood of a fetus of a cow. Okay. And they also feed them um, gelatin. And the gelatin comes from collagen. And right. the collagen comes from cows and pigs that are fed heavy doses of glyphosate in their GMO Roundup-ready feed. So the collagen has tons and tons of glycine in it. So it stands to reason that the gelatin that's being fed to those measles viruses is going to have glyphosate contamination in it. And then the measles virus incorporates that glyphosate into its own proteins, if I'm right with my theory. And that's where things really become problematic because a measles protein contaminated with glyphosate is going to be much more allergenic than one that's just a plain measles protein. Ah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the amazing thing is that there's a particular sequence in the measles virus, one of the proteins that is called hemagglutinin that the measles virus produces. It has a sequence of about, I don't know, maybe 10 amino acids that they've zeroed in on that is similar to a particular 10 amino acid sequence in myelin basic protein, which is in the myelin sheath. Those two amino acid sequences are very similar, which is why the immune cells get confused and they attack the wrong thing. And they mm. have each of them has three glycine residues that line up. So there's three places where there's a glycine out of those 10 or so amino acids okay. potential for glyphosate substitution which is going to cause extreme uh, allergic reaction, basically, you know, autoimmune disease, where you, uh, you end up attacking the myelin sheath in the brain. And that, there's a paper, there's several papers written by a series 
of by a set of people from Utah State University. Professor Singh was the lead on these papers. Okay. Fascinating set of papers where he showed that the autistic kids had a much stronger reaction to the measles virus. And that's because I think the glyphosate was clobbering their innate immune system. So their adaptive immune system goes on fire, produces too many antibodies. So they had high antibody titers, extremely good response to the vaccine. You know, Mm -hmm. no question about it. It worked. It totally worked. A lot of um, antibodies. But they also got antibodies in their brain to the vaccine. And they got and those antibodies attacked were also allergenic against the myelin sheath. So he confirmed all of this, that these all of the kids, almost all the kids who had the high levels. So the autistic kids, about two thirds of them had the high levels of of antibodies. But almost all of those had also the auto uh, auto antibody attack on the myelin sheath. It's an amazing uh, story, I think. And I think it explains uh, directly a connection between MMR and autism. Oh, interesting. Now, it sounds, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm, I'm really focusing here to follow everything you're saying, um, that for this to happen, there has to be a, a weakness in the immune yes. system somewhere yes. already, and that a, 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 a child with autism has that weakness. Yes. But what about a child who wasn't uh, showing any symptoms of autism, but then does after the vaccine? Well, the vaccine is the trigger, I think, that's getting this this problem with the attack of the myelin sheath. What's allowing it to happen is the weak immune system, the leaky gut, the leaky brain. Those are all set up by glyphosate. But once there's that antigen, in the vaccine that's causing the brain to produce those antibodies that are attacking the myelin sheath, that's when you start to get the degradation in the behaviors because the the nerve fibers are getting destroyed by the immune system after you see the vaccine, not before. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what about someone who, say their child is fine, they get the MMR, and then they start seeing symptoms of uh, autism and other kinds of symptoms. But they've they've been careful to, uh, you know, feed their kid and themselves foods that you know organic foods, foods right. that aren't haven't been sprayed with glyphosate. Is there? I'm just wondering. Yeah, I mean, if there's it, sort of a, a a workaround somehow that it's still. <sighs> Right. I mean, first of all, if it's in the vaccine, they're not. Oh, right. They haven't right. protected themselves from that. Yes, so I that, forgot about that. There you yeah, go. Okay. That's going to come in anyway, regardless of how careful they are with the organic food. There's also other uh, possibilities of exposure. Of course, some kids can pick it up at the playground because sometimes they're using a lot of glyphosate at playgrounds mm, or public right. spaces that okay. kids could be rolling in the grass and whatnot. They could get it that way. Another possibility, I think, is from breathing the air uh, where there's heavy traffic. So uh, because the and this is theoretical again. I have a lot of okay. theories that I haven't tested. <laughs> but it makes sense because you've you got know, a lot of work to do, girl. <laughs> I, know. I keep hoping somebody else will do the test. I just <laughs> produce the idea. <laughs> um, the gasoline today is ten percent ethanol, and that ethanol comes from GMO Roundup Ready corn. Oh, interesting! Wow. So the the ethanol and, and many different um, beers and wines have been tested, and they've all tested almost all of them have tested positive for glyphosate, uh, in, <sighs> and that's alcohol, right? So that's right. ethanol. It's the same thing that's in the in the fuel that's in the gas tank. 
Mm-hmm. So if that ethanol from the corn is contaminated with glyphosate and you're burning it, glyphosate does not burn away. It's going to just basically float up into the atmosphere. So if you're on a if you're on a highway with the top down and you've got a lot of traffic, I think you're breathing glyphosate. Mm-hmm. In that. So it's not a heavy molecule that drops to the ground. It's not. It's it's very small and light, and it's, mm. it's volatile. And I mean, it'll, it'll bump, I think it will burn off into the air if you're if you're burning gasoline in your tank, and it won't break down. The temperature does not break it down. Oh, interesting. What is going to break it down? <laughs> we need something to break it down. <laughs> and I will tell you one thing that breaks it down that I'm very happy to find out about. Uh, that is something called hypochlorite, which is basically Clorox bleach. Okay. Um, very, uh, I've seen, so I've been looking for papers on things that break glyphosate down. And um, ozone and hypochlorite are two um, small reactive molecules that have been shown to be able to break glyphosate down non-enzymatically, which is really super. So it turns out they use Clorox pretty routinely, I think, in water treatment plants. Mm. They put it in there to kill the bacteria, you know, Okay. Mm-hmm. process of making sure the water is safe to drink. And so whether they know this or not, but they're also, I hope, <laughs> clearing a lot of the glyphosate in the process of doing that. Interesting. So I'm going to take a leap here and and see what you think of this idea. So if if someone say their their house or apartment is near a highway or somewhere where there's a lot of traffic, would it be a, a good idea possibly to have an ozone uh, generator in their home? Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> that might be a good idea. I mean, all these things are. We need a lot more research, you know, to figure these things out. I know that ozone treatment is something that um, a lot of the autistic kids are getting into. A lot of the parents of the autistic kids are finding ozone treatment to be an effective treatment for autism. Oh, interesting. Now, are you talking about breathing or, or in injecting? Because I know... I actually know how they do it. Because uh, mm-hmm. I, I know that uh, some naturopaths will draw blood and... Uh, well, actually, that's hydrogen peroxide they use. Yeah. They'll put hydrogen peroxide in and then and, and yeah. then uh, drip it back in. That might, actually. I, I'll have to go see if I can find any. I don't have off the top of my head memory of a paper that says hydrogen peroxide does, but it is very reactive. It's similar to, to the hypochlorite. They're both highly reactive oxygen species. I mean, they can do damage to your tissues. That's the problem mm-hmm. with them. Right. Anything that can, can break glyphosate down is not going to be an easy thing to handle. That's what's unfortunate about it. But one thing I've wondered, that you can buy... Um, you know, little tablets, I think, that you can put in. Like if you're a camper mm-hmm. and you want to drink the water from the stream, right? you can put a little tablet or something in there or maybe, you know, you can buy something that's basically mm-hmm. chlorine, you know, hypochlorite that you put as a treatment into the water before you drink it. And so it might be that it would be a good idea for people to do that with their drinking water, basically to treat it with small amounts of hypochlorite and let it sit before they drink it. To mm-hmm. clear the glyphosate, it's sort of like a a glyphosate filter, if you will, a rather mm-hmm. primitive glyphosate filter. Could be, uh, if you think your water is contaminated with glyphosate, it might be that that would be a good thing to do. Hmm. And I'm wondering, I'm taking that a step further. If someone did that to, would it clear glyphosate from the body? Well, there's a big, big question. <laughs> <laughs> well, while it's still reactive, it probably could. Uh, help to clear the glyphosate that's in your body, I would suspect. Hmm. 
And so, and, and in fact, you know, I don't know if you know this, but there are people who are treating autism with hypochlorite um, mm-hmm. as part of the treatment plan and who are reporting extremely good um, success with doing that, oh, even reversing autism. Really? Wow. It's amazing. Interesting. So many questions that need answers. Yes. Now, there's <laughs> another way to break it down that I think might be safer, and I would recommend this one wholeheartedly. Okay. <laughs> which is... Apple cider vinegar. Mm, mm-hmm. And I do Bragg's Organic. We try to eat it every day. Um, we're trying to use it more and more, actually, in our cooking. And we try to kind of keep coming up with ways to use Bragg's Organic apple cider vinegar because it contains uh, a live uh, bacterium called Acetobacter. Okay. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, kimchi, kombucha, sauerkraut, all those things would also contain it. So all those fermented foods. So fermented, right. Okay. Acetobacter. Acetobacter is among the very few microbes that can break glyphosate down enzymatically, which is much oh, safer. Yes, much safer. yes. Another reason to add fermented foods to your diet. Absolutely, a big reason. In my opinion, the most important reason at this point, mm-hmm. you know, given today's uh, world where there's so much glyphosate around. So the acetobacter can actually break down the glyphosate in your mouth and in your throat before you ever get to the stomach. The stomach might kill them off because the stomach's very acidic. It's hard for them to survive in the stomach, but they can still do their job uh, in the mouth and in the throat to help to clear the glyphosate that might mm-hmm. be in the food that's coming along with it. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I think that's quite interesting. Another thing I've heard, they did a study on cows that I've read carefully, which was um, the cows were sick and they were, of course, exposed to lots of glyphosate. They tested their urine. They tested positive for glyphosate in their urine and they treated, treated them with uh, sauerkraut juice, which of course is the apple cider vinegar pro- uh, idea, that's mm-hmm. the acetobacter, uh, sauerkraut juice, and then also uh, bentonite clay yep. uh, for binding, and then um, fulvic acid and humic acid, F-U-L-V-I-C, mm-hmm. not folic, but fulvic, right. and humic acid, which is organic matter from the soil. And mm-hmm. I think those things were supposed to, claimed to bind to the glyphosate and take it out through the feces. Interesting. So that's some other ideas. So the fulvic and humic acid, uh, the uh, apple cider vinegar, bentonite clay, uh, fermented foods. Exactly. Did I miss anything? That's perfect. (laughs) The other thing I would say is sunlight exposure. Oh, how does that? This is according to my theories. Um, I believe that the sunlight catalyzes the synthesis of sulfate in the skin. And sulfate deficiency is a systemic problem with glyphosate poisoning. Tremendous ways in which glyphosate is disrupting the sulfur system. I'm, I'm writing about it. I've written about it, and I'm writing more about it as we speak. Mm-hmm. Really fascinating. But the sulfate is super important in your body, uh, both for detoxifying toxic chemicals, especially, for example, mercury. Sulfate is essential for clearing mercury from your body. Okay. Uh, and for other things as well, the toxic phenols and whatnot. We have a lot of uh, other toxic exposures that are cleared through sulfate. Uh, sulfate is also essential for the blood flow. It's essential in the red blood cells. Um, it's essential for digesting cellular debris in the lysosomes. So the, the cell's digestive system depends on sulfate. And okay. so mm-hmm. sulfate deficiency causes... Also, heparin sulfate deficiency in the brain is very clearly linked to autism. Mm-hmm. So if I'm right about sulfate synthesis being triggered by sunlight... Getting out in the sun will help you to renew your sulfate, which will be very, very important. Okay. Is there any uh, MSM? Is there any 
benefit That, that is actually probably a very good uh, thing to take. I, I think there's also chondroitin sulfate. That's one of the mm -hmm. things that's used in this program, the reverse the autism, chondroitin sulfate, um, glucosamine sulfate, and MSM, methyl sulfonylmethane, are all, I think if you want to take supplements, those would be the ones I would recommend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I found that they, because um, I take a supplement, it has all of those plus collagen and hyaluronic acid. And because um, I knit and crochet every day and I uh -huh. play the harp. And I found that uh, just my fingers, uh, uh -huh. all the rest of my joints are fine. But I was having, That's I was starting to have problems with my fingers and, and my hands are the best they've ever been. And, oh, that's um, great to hear. That's mm -hmm. really, that sounds like quite a good package. Yeah, it's a doctor's best. I just, Excellent. I get it on Amazon. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, but my grandmother, my grandmother had rheumatoid arthritis, so... Mm. You know, um, but my hands seem to be, they're fine. They're very, they feel very agile. and That's great. Yeah, and it's certainly an organic diet is important mm -hmm. for your joints because mm -hmm. of the collagen problem. Yes, I'm, I'm getting that now. Well, I think everybody is going to have to listen to this at least twice <laughs> to really, <laughs> sorry, really. The science. the science is not easy, but uh, it's wonderful stuff. I'd love to get people more hooked on it because if, if you get hooked like I am, you can really have a, a lot of good times reading papers and figuring things out. It's so much fun. Oh, yeah, I can see it. It's like this big puzzle. So yes. so are there are there people working on um, studying this or, or, you know, in the lab? Very few. And this is one of my frustrations. I've been trying very hard to interest people that I know who have the potential for setting up a lab and studying this. And people have expressed this certain amount of interest, but you know, everybody's so busy with other things. And I think they're afraid to confront Monsanto on this topic. So people, the chemists seem to be shying away from it. Uh, Monsanto actually, I did some experiments. Some Monsanto researchers did some experiments back in the 1980s. I think in 1989, they did not publish this work, but Anthony Sample got a hold of it through the Freedom of Information Act. So he has a copy of this document mm -hmm. where they described an experiment that's the best experiment I've seen to demonstrate the potential for it to in incorporate into proteins. They exposed bluegill sunfish as a fish to um, okay. radio-labeled glyphosate. So they had it tagged with a radiocarbon so you could, you could trace it. Mm -hmm. And then they looked into the tissues and they measured the radio label. And sure enough, it was in the tissues. Now, they claim that it doesn't accumulate in the tissues. And they know they're lying because this paper showed that it did. Mm -hmm. But they measured. So they got the radio label. They knew how much radio label was there. And then they said, well, let's measure for glyphosate and see if we can identify the radio label as being glyphosate. And they only recovered up to about 20% of it. So 80% of the radio label went missing. Wow. So then they got the brilliant idea. Let's add some enzymes that break proteins down into individual amino acids and let's try again. So they did that. They mm -hmm. added these proteolysis enzymes that break the proteins down. And then they recovered up to, I think it was 70%. So they got a lot more yields, still 30% missing. But seventy percent accountable as individual glyphosate molecules. So what this tells you is that if you try to measure glyphosate in protein, you're going to come up short because a good part of that glyphosate is tied up in the protein. It's it's one of those paper dolls in the paper doll sequence, mm -hmm. and you don't see it as glyphosate if it's embedded in the protein. You can see it if it's radio labeled. You can see the radio label. Got but it. You can't see the glyphosate molecule. And they figured that out, and so they said perhaps it was incorporated into the protein. That's their words, and that's what I'm saying, <laughs> incorporated into the protein. That's why I think they know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, uh, why, 
why would you, I, I know they're making a lot of money on it and it works well for the, uh, intended use, but, but the, the long lasting side effects for the planet and humanity, why would you pursue this? I just, wow. That's my question. That's certainly my question. <laughs> if you know, how can you possibly let this happen? I don't understand these people. I don't understand that kind of evil. You know, I don't, it, I can't comprehend that it exists in our species. That mm -hmm. degree of evil. It's unbelievable to me. And uh, it really frustrates me. And, and, and not only that, but they, of course, attack anybody who dares to say that this is actually happening. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's pretty vicious. I, I, uh, I mean, I think they don't mind if they destroy life on Earth is what it comes down to, in my opinion, because it's not just humans that are being affected. Right. And I could go on and on. I mean, I, I can see in the, in the plants that glyphosate is disrupting the proteins that incorporate carbon and nitrogen into organic matter. And what that means is that glyphosate is a major contributor to global climate change. I don't know what percentage is caused by the glyphosate, but I'll bet money it's a lot more than what they're saying. Glyphosate is a causal factor in global climate change by virtue of disrupting the plant's ability to pull carbon and nitrogen out of the air and turn it into organic matter. That's causing carbon dioxide and nitrous oxide excess in the atmosphere. Wow, that's quite a statement, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> and it, wow. They, I mean, actually, they've studied and shown that glyphosate disrupts these enzymes that I'm talking about. And there are papers that show that it disrupts them, and there are papers that show that they have these glycine dependencies that would make sense why it would disrupt them. So, I mean, all the pieces of the puzzle are out there. It's just that people aren't connecting the dots. Wow. But you are. <laughs> yeah, I would love to have some more people join me because I could sure use some help. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. Wow. Uh, well, I certainly hope that, you know, as have you have you talked about this on a, a, a podcast or a radio show or anything yet? Uh, there's some new material that we covered today, but I've done many, many podcasts about this topic. And uh, uh, I've tried my best to get the message out. But each time I do it, I talk about some other things because there are so many possibilities to talk mm -hmm. about. So mm -hmm. this, but this one is actually quite unique. And there's some new things that I talked about here that I have not talked about before. I'm working on a book, by the way, uh, oh. on glyphosate. And I'm putting a lot of this material into the book. So excellent. It, it's a very challenging task, but <laughs> hopefully I'll have the energy to get it done. And yeah, well, I, I you know, hopefully it, it things will just start moving forward and people will become much more interested in researching, um, getting in the lab and really finding out the truth. I would um, see that happen. I think there's got to be some chemist out there who's sufficiently curious to be willing to take this project on. I mean, there's ways it could fail and there are ways it could cause trouble with Monsanto and Bayer. But to me, it's really, uh, if you have the skills to do it, you know, I would really encourage you to think about designing because it would not I don't think it would be that difficult if you had the skills mm -hmm. to design an experiment that could pretty much nail it you know mm -hmm. the other thing you probably know is there have been some lawsuits come uh, come out right yes uh, very encouraging I'm ve that's made me much happier to see these lawsuits because there's at least two now that have gotten large awards glyphosate linking to it to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma mm -hmm. and that is an immune cell problem which I would expect to be a consequence of the immune system damage that I think it does with these collagen stalks, you know, in these, in these um, immune cells. But um, there's a lot more behind those two. There's already a third one underway, a third lawsuit, and there's another uh -huh. over 11,000 out there waiting for their job. Wow. 
Well, yeah, I'm hoping that that will spark interest uh, for people to really to really learn more about this and and get serious about it as these lawsuits are 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 resolving and um you know on yeah. our side and organic diet of course i can't say that enough eat organic thank god we have a certified organic it's not perfect but at least we have that option when we shop and i would absolutely encourage anybody listening to i've we have switched to certified organic now for several years and both of us are seeing improvements in our health because of it mm-hmm. um, so very important to eat organic. And you'll also encourage the farmers to grow organic, which will reduce the glyphosate burden in the world. So you'll be doing a very good favor to the rest Great. of us by eating organic. So <laughs> if we just get enough people doing that, we could really turn this around. People refuse to buy the food. They won't make it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. People want Well, people want to make money. They need to earn a living. So they are going to do what, yes. you know, what, what they can sell, what people want. Exactly. Awesome. Wow. Wow. Well, this has been, uh, to me, it's been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate who you are and what you do and your amazing brain. (laughs) (laughs) A little wacko probably, but... (laughs) That's okay. I like wacko. (laughs) That's with this molecule, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Wow. It's the Um, best thing I've ever done. Wow. It, well, it's pretty amazing how you've, how you've, you know, linked everything or how you're, pu- how you're putting the pieces of the puzzle together and, and showing the connections. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say before we, we close? Oh, geez. I don't know. I just hope that the people who are listening will take this seriously and uh, change their habits, uh, eat better, get sunlight exposure, tell your neighbors, make sure nobody's using Roundup around you. Talk mm-hmm. to your school if you find out if they're using Roundup. The, one of those lawsuits was somebody whose job was to use Roundup in schoolyards. Um, so that's mm-hmm. very disturbing to me that they're, they're using it in the schoolyards. They should not be. It's very dangerous to the children. Mm-hmm. So there are ways. Look around. Try to find. Um, you, know, you can have your water tested. You could also have your urine tested. There's things you can do to find out if you are exposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can, of course, take action. Well, and parks too. Parks, you know, lots Absolutely. of grass in parks. Your your children, your pets. Um, you know, you we all like to lie in the grass. Uh, oh, it's so scary to lie in the grass now. I, I won't do it anymore. It's really sad. But the um, you can be active locally, politically, and try to get your your uh, your city government to ban the use of glyphosate in public places. That's been happening in cities uh, around the country and around the world. So you could be active if that's your game politically locally uh, to try to make a difference. I think everybody should become more aware and then tell everybody they know uh, that they need to get on board with this message that this stuff is really, really toxic. Mm -hmm. We need to get it there. We need to get rid of it. Yeah, I think uh, trying to get glyphosate out of your community, your public place, uh, public parks and other public places is a great place to start. Yes, and that's not as daunting as trying to confront the federal government because they've got they're so bought, the regulators are so bought that you can't really reach them. They're going to be the last, I think, to accommodate the problem. Mm, I hope mm-hmm. I'm wrong, but it just looks like they're just incredibly bought. It's a shame. Mm-hmm. Well, um, as you as you uh, progress in your hypothesis, your theories, and um, and you find new information out, I would invite you to uh, contact me and uh, we'll you know talk about it. 
We'll do it again. Yeah, this was great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. I really, really appreciate who you are and your time and and, uh, doing this for the listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Take care. Thank you for listening. And thank you so much, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, for coming on the podcast again and sharing this arguably groundbreaking theory with us. I look forward to hearing more about your progress. The podcast website is realjanine.com, where you can listen to and download episodes. You can also sign up for the podcast bi-weekly blog newsletter to keep up on new episodes, archives, life updates, and healthy recipes. And remember, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. You can also listen to video slideshows of my conversations on the podcast YouTube channel. Find it by searching Real Janine. And remember, please subscribe. Do you know someone who would benefit from my conversation with Dr. Seneff? I know you do. Please share the love. Take care and be well. Be well.